Spiritual warfare, what is it exactly? Often, we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, but it can be unclear how the enemy attacks or even how we gain victory. In this series, Pastor John Metter of Cross City Church shares insights into how best to prepare for and defeat the enemy. It's a war, but there is a clear winner. This is John Metter in the Life is War podcast continues, and we are glad that you've joined us. We are moving into session eight. So episode eight of Life is War, if you've stuck with us through these first seven sessions, you know that we have been talking about all the different aspects of war, um, the armor of God, the aim of the enemy. Um, we've used the statement, uh, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. We actually spent a session talking about what prayer is all about. That was session six. Um, we've talked about winning the war of life. Today we're going to talk about standing firm in a tsunami of deception. Most of you, if you remember your history, know that a few years ago, probably a decade or two ago now, uh, a tsunami swept uh, the southern Asia area. And that tsunami killed 250 thousand people. As I recall, uh, nearly without warning, this massive uh, wave of water, a wall of water, uh, washed the shore, and everybody was unprepared, of course, and uh, 250,000 people died. And basically, you, you can't stand on the beach when a tsunami is coming in. If you've ever been anywhere near the ocean, you know you can't stand against a, a normal wave in, in the ocean, it's going to sweep you off your feet. And a tsunami is just impossible. But we're in what I would call a tsunami of deception in our world today. Uh, I live in America, of course, and, and uh, I know it's true around the world, but I, I would say that America is particularly susceptible to this tsunami of deception because we have bought into the outright lie that everybody can have their own truth. And once you convince a person that they can make up their own truth and they actually act on that, then you've got uh, people swept off their feet, swept off solid ground, and uh, no longer standing on anything absolute or firm or truthful. Uh, and when it happens in a culture, it's very easily get swept up into that. And that's why it's so important in our country today, it's so important in our community today, it's so important in our church today that we stand on the truth. So how do we stand on the truth? This is what we're going to be talking about a lot today. Now ultimately, every battle we face is designed to keep us from advancing the gospel, keep us from living the gospel, keep us from advancing the gospel, and the same is true of us. So we're going to talk about how um, these pieces of the armor work, and, and if you remember I talked to you about the summary of the armor of God, and I called it righteous living or holiness. And by righteousness or holiness, I don't mean the imputed righteousness or holiness that we are given because of Jesus dying on the cross for us, and his righteousness is placed on us, his holiness is placed on us so that we're right with God. I'm talking about something beyond that. Every believer needs the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ in his life. That's the only way we can stand before God, in Jesus' righteousness. But there's a practical righteousness that we're called to walk in. Once we are washed clean, Jesus indwells us, and we are to rely on him and, and to walk in holiness and walk in righteousness. Now, that does not mean that we walk in perfection. 
because we, we're not going to be perfect until the day we see Jesus. But it does mean that we pay attention to how we live. Live by the truth. Uh, live without compromise. Not open the door for the enemy to work in our life. So righteous living is what the armor is all about. And in Paul's account of Ephesians 6, he dives into our everyday conversation and belief system, beginning with the truth. So it's the belt of truth that holds all the armor together. And I'm going to talk about a couple of prominent pieces here. Because the everyday battle that we deal with, and catch this, it's not a power struggle. I've already told you that. It's a truth struggle. It's not a power struggle because Jesus is sufficient. He's adequate. As long as we're in him and he's enough. It's when we walk away from him by walking away from the truth that we lose our power in the battle, which is him. We want to stay in him, stay with him, stay by him in the truth, and we have all the power we need. But consider this. If you believe a lie, Satan can control your life in the area of that lie. It could be a lie that you believe from a past life when you before you came to Christ. A past season of your life, I should say. It could be a lie that someone else has planted in your mind, something you've read or heard. It could be a lie that the enemy himself has planted inside of your mind. Jesus, when he talked about Satan, our adversary, said this in John 8, 44. He said, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Go back to history, human history, Genesis chapter 3. Truth came first, then a lie was the first weapon of Satan. Remember what it says in Genesis 3? From the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. So the very first lie was designed to move her away from the truth that God gave her. And she did give in to that lie. And she took of the fruit and the curse of mankind took place. The sinfulness of mankind is present today because of Adam and Eve's fall in Genesis 3. So let me ask you a question. How many lives, how many people did the first lie impact? And I would give you a number. Over 107 billion people have been born and lived on the planet by one estimate. 107 billion people have been affected by one lie. Ah, to me, that's amazing that one lie can affect that many people. But when you think about it, you see how it makes sense. I can quote other lies to you. Roe v. Wade, giving women by the Supreme Court of the United States of America what they believed was a constitutional right to abort their children, gave way to 57 million babies being aborted. Now, of course, that's been overturned now. The Dobbs Amendment turned it over, and now it's up to the states. But... The lie that, that was inside of a woman's womb is not a child is what gave the freedom for women to believe it was okay to abort their own children. One lie affected 57 million babies in this country alone. Then there's a very prevalent present tense lie today that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man. And I know all about gender dysphoria. I understand what's going on in those lives. But for us to tell a woman that she can actually become a man in every sense of the word is a lie. It's not the truth. Surgery can happen. All kinds of uh, drugs can be given. But it's not the truth. She'll never become a fully functioning man. And a man can never become a fully functioning woman. 
But how many people, and increasing numbers of people, are moving in that direction? Lies impact people. And so for us to be in a spiritual battle, we have to choose honesty as opposed to hypocrisy or truthfulness with no deceptions in our lives. We cannot win the battle for the gospel and against the demons and forces of darkness without a commitment to speaking the truth and living the truth. That's what the belt of truth is all about. And I'm not picking on on different instances by talking about Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden or Roe v. Wade or uh, the transgenderism movement today. I'm simply giving you examples of what happens when something uh, that has been a clear, present truth that is eternal and timeless is subverted. And when it's subverted and people begin, begin to believe it, all kinds of chaos begins to take place. All kinds of confusion begins to take place. A couple of quotes here. John Chrysostom said years and years ago, Let us love nothing remotely false. All our duties let us pursue with truth. Let us not lie to one another. Whether it be an opinion, let us seek the truth. Or whether it be a line of life, let us seek the true one. If we fortify ourselves with this, if we gird ourselves with truth, then then no one shall overcome us. Now, I'm, I'm not just going to talk about these issues uh, like the garden, like Roe v. Wade, etc. I'm going to talk about just living life truthfully, just speaking the truth in your relationships, not living a hypocritical life. That's what John Christosom was saying. T.R. Newfield said, Truth is an active dimension of the church's life. It's a way in which God intervenes in a world whose culture is best characterized as the lie. It means upholding standards of gracious integrity within the community of the new human. It means speaking the truth fully, the good news to those who are still under the sway of evil. Truth is so important. Uh, I admonish you to live by the truth in every way. Now that, that means there are certain practical applications with this belt of truth. First, we must stand on truth and combat lies about God. That's going to be a battle. Uh, Everyone wants to blame God for bad things in this world. Um, The original lie, the original sin is God will surely not allow you to die. That's what Satan said. Um, In other words, Satan began questioning the goodness of God right then and there in the garden with the very first lie. And today the world casts all kinds of blame at the feet of God, so to speak, because of the way things are going, the way the direction uh, is headed in our world. People say about God that he can't be a good God with so much evil in the world. We hear about sex trafficking taking place. A recent movie came out that talked about that movement. And people say, okay, uh, if, that's, if that's real, if that's true, and, and children are sex trafficked, and there's so many consumers of, of this sex trafficking in America, where is God? Why doesn't God fix this? And all along, it's very clear to those with eyes to see that it's the fault of people who demand this, who consume this, that keep perpetrating this horrible, horrible issue. We must stand on the truth and combat lies against God. Neil Anderson has a great book, and in that book, he has a number of lies about God. And, and while I won't go through all those lies about God, I'll just, say, I'll just tell you that part of the spiritual war is being able to tear, tearing, down, tearing down in your life Every lofty thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God. Now that phrase, lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God, is in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. 
It's really important that you know who God is so that when God is falsely accused, you can reject that false accusation. And if you don't do that, you won't have confidence to follow him, confidence to trust him, confidence to believe him. So we battle, combat lies about God. Know God, know his character, know who he is, know how he responds to things around us. Stand on truth, combat lies about God. God is good. God is loving. God is merciful. God is just. God is compassionate. God is aware of what you're going through. Um, God is gracious to intervene in our lives. God is all-wise, all-knowing, all-seeing. These are the kinds of truths that guide us through this tsunami where people are being swept away from anything solid to stand on because if they believe lies about God, they're not going to think there's any solid ground anywhere, and for them there's not, without coming back to the God of creation, the God of truth. We must also stand on truth and combat lies about others. So you combat lies about God, but you also have to combat lies about others. We stand with truth. So we're supposed to speak the truth and speak the truth in life. We're supposed to not allow uh, various kinds of lies to be told about different people, slander or gossip, all those kinds of things. It's important to us to combat. If we don't combat against those things, then we divide ourselves in the body of Christ. So my encouragement to you is to value and elevate your speech to be above falsehood, to be above rumor, to be above mere opinion. Further, if you believe a lie and pass it on, it plays directly into the strategy of the enemy. We cannot say in prayer, I put on the belt of truth and then associate with a lie and expect any kind of protection at all. That's why Psalm says that slanderers will be destroyed and Proverbs says they're fools and we're not to associate with the gossip. So we've got to be a family, we've got to be a body, we've got to be an army of truth and we can't believe lies about others. Andy Andrews put out a small book years ago that was really quick to read and really powerful in its impact. And the title on the book, a subtitle on the book is, How Do You Kill 11 Million People? So that got my attention. And of course, he was referring to the Nazi regime and the extermination, if you will, of the Jewish people. And at the end of the book, as he positioned this question, how do you kill 11 million people? The answer is you lie to them and you lie about them. That is, in essence, the message of the book. When you lie to people and about people enough, it changes the course of history and changes the course of your life. So I want to translate that to spiritual battles that we have. When you lie about somebody enough, lie about God, lie about somebody else, even lie about yourself enough, that at some point it's going to alter the direction of your life. You have to get to the truth and stand on the truth no matter what. Sometimes the tsunami feels like this. I don't know where to stand because I don't know who's telling the truth. But that should not be a problem for the believer of Jesus Christ who is in his word. We should recognize the truth and know the truth because we're standing on it and it's in us and we're in it. Finally, we must stand on truth and combat lies about ourselves. That's the breastplate of righteousness that we talked about. It is a fascinating, mysterious reference to Christ's breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to read a few verses out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 59, verse 16 and 17 says, And he saw that there was no man, and astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate 
and a habit of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. This is a reference to Christ, uh, fully armed. Isaiah 63. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I've trodden on the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. <clears throat> and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. Now these are verses that allude to the breastplate of Christ, the breastplate of righteousness Paul talks about when he saw the armor of the Roman soldiers coming home from battle with their blood-stained breastplates. And he's referring to Christ wearing that on the cross. The blood signifies that we're righteous in Christ. And Satan will lie to you about that and lie to you about you. Often we lose our confidence and our identity in Christ when we don't remember what God has said about us once we come to faith in Jesus. And we listen to lies about God's love, lies about God's forgiveness and God's commitment, lies about God's future and our calling and our usefulness and our identity and our eternity. It's really, really important for us to believe what God says about the fact that he loves us, he forgives us, he's committed to us. Super important for you to remember and stand on his promises for your future, your calling, your usefulness, your identity, your eternity. Really, really important. You can stand firm when the storm takes place. This last summer, my wife and I were on vacation in Florida. And we were at Orange Beach at a hotel right on the beach. And, and um, one day, weather had been getting very turbulent. And white cap waves were everywhere. And before long, we realized by watching the weather app that we have that storms were coming into the area. And so we were fine. We were safe. And, um, and then there was a tornado alert. And the tornado alert specified that tornadoes were touching down right where we were. And so we were on the seventh floor looking at our patio uh, sliding glass door, which was very thick, very firm feeling, watching the storm unfold, looking for funnel clouds, you know. And um, when our phones began to go off and say, seek shelter, we went down to the lobby and I asked the person behind the desk, what are we supposed to do in case of a tornado because apparently they're near? And they had no clue. They were looking around, stunned themselves, and people were coming down the lobby saying, where do we go? Is there a basement? Is there somewhere we go to get safe? And uh, the lady looked at me and said, well, this was built for a hurricane. It was built for 150-mile winds. And uh, so that's all I know. And so we decided to go back up to our room and just wait it out and kind of watch what was happening and and uh, I rested in the knowledge that it was built for a hurricane, knowing that hurricanes uh, reach a pretty high wind, but in one direction, and knowing that tornadoes are completely different. But knowing I had some safety there, I just rested in that. In fact, I actually took a, a nap during that tornado. Uh, and it, it touched down less than a mile from where we were. We never felt it. We never saw it. We just uh, drove around the next day and saw all that had been damaged. But I actually took a nap in that turbulence because... I had all the safety I needed. I had the safety of knowing that our hurricane could, um, our hotel could withstand a hurricane. I had the safety of knowing, even if it didn't withstand the hurricane, um, I've lived the life I'm supposed to be living, and if I die, I'm with Christ in heaven. Uh, there's just a certain amount of confidence that living like you call to live brings you when things threaten you. And I know there's going to be a lot of turbulence in your life, just like there is in every life. 
But I want you to have the confidence of knowing that you're standing and living in the truth day by day by day. Commit to truth, speak the truth, believe the truth, share the truth. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, I'll leave you with this. It says, We know we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's 1 John 5, 19 and 20. Because you know you are of God, you can see that the whole world lies in the hand of the evil one, but you're safe, free from turbulence, protected, because you're standing firm on the truth in a tsunami. Looking forward to you joining us again in our next podcast. This is John Metter, and life is war. <laughs>